If I uh, ask you the question, what is the greatest speech ever delivered? What would your answer be? Great speeches of history. Well, I googled this, and uh, you can get a list. You can get a lot of different lists. I suppose you could get almost an infinite number of lists of the greatest speeches ever given. The Gettysburg Address. Well, now you know I was looking at an American list. (laughs) Uh, If you look at a world history list, it gets a lot less American. But uh, I think given the sort of dominance of America in the world today, it, it stays pretty American. John Kennedy's inaugural address is on a lot of lists. The Gettysburg Address. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, I Have a Dream speech, which is really probably my favorite. It's just an amazing uh, speech. I, I don't know what to say. It's uh, on virtually any level that you might evaluate a speech on. It's great. Well, today I'm going to assert to you something to be the greatest speech that was ever made. And it's a bit of a trick, though, because this speech wasn't really spoken in the sense of somebody standing up in front of a group of people and speaking. This speech is made by God. Oh, well, that puts it up there, you know, already. (laughs) Certainly the greatest speaker who ever spoke. Is God. Oh, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount delivered by Jesus Christ, that's how they say it. Sermon on the Mount by Jesus Christ uh, is also on a lot of the lists. But that's not the speech I'm talking about. Though it's part of that. The Sermon on the Mount is part of the speech I'm talking about. The speech I'm talking about is... Uh, reported to us because we don't actually have a text of this speech, but it the fact of this speech is reported to us in the book of Hebrews. In fact, it's in Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Hebrews, the first six verses of chapter 1. Let me read it for you. If you have a Bible, you could look at it while I'm reading it to you. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You're my son, today I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. 
And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. God has spoken to us in his Son. And that is, in fact, the greatest speech ever made. God has spoken to us. in his Son. And what this tells us is that Jesus doesn't just speak for God, Jesus is the speech. Jesus is, as we read in John chapter 1 this morning, the Word made flesh dwelling among us so that we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And those of us who have received him, he has adopted as his very own children. To them he gave the right to be called children of God. That's only possible because the word became flesh. And that's why this is about Christmas. Because Christmas is the occasion upon which the Word was made flesh. Christmas is the occasion in which God delivered the speech to end all speeches. The greatest speech ever made in the Son made flesh. The eternal God became a baby. Not just a man. A baby. We're going to dedicate a baby this morning. We dedicated a, the or other baby we just saw earlier today. We dedicated a couple weeks ago. Uh, a baby. Someone in flesh who needs someone else for everything. An utterly dependent child. The eternal one became one of those. Already, this is a great speech. Not me, but you know. Him becoming one of us and not, you know, not just sort of one of us, but so entirely one of us that he had to be conceived in a womb and grow in a womb to the point of being born, growing up, going to school. He actually had to go to school to learn how to read, to learn Whatever he needed to learn, to gr he grew in stature, that means he got bigger, and wisdom. He submitted himself, the eternal, all-knowing God, submitted himself to the position of needing to be taught. You cannot figure that out. 
because, you know, he never quit being the all-knowing God. But in his humanity, he needed to go to school. He needed parents. He needed, when he was a baby, he needed to be fed and changed in the middle of the night. That's the speech we're talking about. Now, we read more about this speech here in the book of Hebrews. In fact, the book of Hebrews is entirely about this speech. This sentence that we read that begins the book of Hebrews is a title to the book of Hebrews. God has spoken to us in his Son. That We could call this whole thing that instead of the book of Hebrews. Now, he, this speech has some points. I've got six of them here. The first one is, the one through whom all things were made is appointed to be heir of all things. The one through whom all things were made, we read about that in John. The Word was God and the Word was with God. Everything that was made was made through Him. Nothing was made that wasn't made through Him, the Word, the Eternal Son, Jesus, when the eternal son became a man, he got a name, Jesus. That one is appointed heir of all things. And you think, well, what? Wasn't he always heir of all things? No. Well, you could say the eternal son was in some sense, but now the one through whom all things were were made becomes a man, and that man becomes the heir of all things. He was appointed to the position of heir of all things as a man. You might want be wondering, well, what's, why is that such a big deal? Well, <laughs> a man now, one of us, is the inheritor of everything. In other words, he made everything, and then he became the man who gets everything in the end. The second thing about him is he's the one, the one who carries the universe. The one, this, this, uh, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He carries the universe from its creation through him to its conclusion in which he inherits it, he carries it from that beginning to that end. That that same one who carries the universe, who is the author of the story of all things, (laughs) has become the radiance and the exact representation of God. You might think, well, wasn't he always the radiance and the exact representation of God? Well, yeah, in a certain sense. But he, in his humanity, has become the radiance and the exact representation of God made flesh. This is the fulfillment of let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Up until then... Adam was the only one 
and Eve, Adam and Eve, were the only ones who had ever experienced the fullness of human being in the likeness and image of God. They wrecked it. We experience it in a sort of a shadow state, in, its, in a sort of broken condition. It's still present. It's still the purpose for which God made us. But we, we aspire but fall short. That's what Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Jesus does not fall short of the glory of God. (laughs) He's the fullness, the full radiance of the glory of God. And this is speaking of him in his humanity. The man Jesus, who is the one who carries the universe from beginning to end, he's also the one that makes the invisible God visible. To be the radiance implies a viewer. To be the representation involves someone seeing the image of God in him. That's us. That's why this is a great speech. He is the speech of God. The third thing we read about him here is he himself made a purification for sins. In fact, this verb is in something called the middle voice. Sorry, it's grammar. But he made himself purification of sins. He made himself the offering, the sacrifice for sins. The Not just like those old sacrifices that sort of covered your sins for the time being, that, you know, maybe kept God from judging you right away but the sacrifice that actually purifies that Hebrews talks about the cleansing of our very conscience by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. He himself, he made himself the purification of sins. And having done that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you think, well, doesn't the son of God always sit at the right hand of the majesty on high? Yes. But now, but now, one of us sits there. It is the man Jesus who ascended to be seated at the right hand of God. It's not just the eternal son anymore. It's the eternal son made the man. That's Christmas. And he himself made purification of sins. Well, I would tell you this. There's no possible way he can do that if he's not one of us. Can't be done. Who can atone for the sins of humanity? Humanity. And only humanity. This is why the... Blood of bulls and goats, as Hebrews said, never really dealt with the whole problem because they're not us. He's us. We are atoned for in him. In him, the man 
Jesus. And here in uh, verse 5, he says, he's quoting the psalm, You are my son, the Lord, the Lord, the Father, God says of Jesus, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He's the eternally begotten one. Like the old creed says, begotten, not made. He eternally proceeds from the Father. He never started proceeding from the Father. He always has. He is the eternal one. He was in the beginning with God. He's the eternal second person of the triune God. That, yeah, I know, we can't really think of this. But that's who he is. But he's begotten as one of us also. That's Christmas. And when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Again, we're quoting from the Psalms, I believe. Let all the angels of God worship him. And we've read the story. We sang about it this morning. The angels of God I think, you know, this needed to be sort of a low-key event. The angels on Christmas. That Jesus was born in a... Well, he could not be... He could not have been born in a more obscure way. They can't, they can't, they can't even get a room in the town they're visiting. And so he's born in the shed, in the dirt, in the animals' world, in the barn. You know that famous expression, what, were you born in a barn? Jesus was literally born in a barn. And his crib was a feed box. It was not one of these cute little mangers with the light bulb in it that we use today. It was a feed box. The animals ate out of the hay he was laid in. This was obscure. And who was the angelic announcement made to? Shepherds. Every day we have a flock of goats that come through here. Pretty big flock of goats. I'd really like to catch the guy they belong to because they eat a bunch of stuff they're not supposed to eat. And here's another thing about them. They stink. I mean, they really stink. Guess what shepherds smell like? Sheep who smell like goats. In fact, in these these days, in those days, shepherds, goats and sheep all together, the shepherd. Well, they were watching their sheep by night. This is a bunch of backwater hicks. These are not people that anyone of us would really want to hang out with. But they are the ones to whom the angels made the announcement. I think maybe there was a bit of an argument. You know, the angels are going, well, we're, we have to, we have to worship him. We have to proclaim his arrival 
it's even, it's even in the Old Testament scriptures, you have to let us, okay, these guys. Because we can't let this, you know, too much out. The point is the humility of it. And Jesus, when he became one of us, he didn't become a prince. He became the homeless baby. Yet, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And so there was the heavenly host shouting, glory to God, glory in the highest. And almost nobody saw it. But this is the greatest speech ever made. This is the meaning of Christmas. God has spoken to us in his son, in the delivery of that child. The eternal God has become one of us to make God visible to us and to bring us into the fellowship with God so that we would join him, Jesus, in bearing God's image in creation, to restore us to what Adam lost for us. The purpose of, of the creation of humanity, the purpose of the creation of humanity is only fulfilled in the incarnation of the Son of God in the man Jesus. If there's no baby in the manger, God's reason for making you and me has failed. Because Adam destroyed it. And so if there's no second Adam, there's no man in the image of God. Jesus is the one who perfects that very thing, who walked, as we read in the book of John for so long, in absolutely perfect fellowship with the Father by the power of the Spirit. John says he gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. So Jesus was always in perfect communion and communication with the Father by the power of the Spirit, so that as a human being, he always did what the Father wanted done. And he always said exactly what the Father wanted said at exactly the right time. He lived his whole life in perfect obedience to the Father by walking in fellowship with the Father by the Spirit. So that <laughs> he radiated the glory of God and perfectly represented God in the world. So that when Philip says, show us the Father, Jesus says, that's what I'm doing. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Just stop and think for one second that God Almighty, creator of everything you've ever seen and everything you've never seen, that God can be completely represented in one of us. 
You are way a bigger deal than you think. A human being is the pinnacle of creation. And the reason we can't see it is because of the fall, because of our break from this fellowship with God. And in Christ, this fellowship with God is lived out in perfection so that he radiates the glory of God and represents God perfectly, the exact representation of God in the creation as a man, and so to inherit all things as a man. Jesus Christ, the man, does all these things. We can only do them if he does them. If there's no baby, there's no humanity in the image of God. If there's no birth of Jesus laid in the manger in Bethlehem, in this little farm town in the backwater, then our image-bearing remains broken. A failure. The second thing we have to say about this is open fellowship between God and humanity is only possible in the incarnation. We've kind of already said this. What that means for you and me is that if there's no baby, there's no spiritual life. We remain, as the Scripture describes us, dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. And by the way, when we use that expression, spiritual life, we ought to remember that we don't really need the word spiritual in that description. Because spiritual life is life. And a lack of spiritual life is not life. It's dead. God breathed into Adam, inspirated him, so that he became a living human being, a soul that could actually walk in fellowship with the Eternal One. So if there's no baby in the manger... There's no life. The whole thing is just dying. It just takes a while to play out. And so open fellowship with God and humanity takes place in the suffering of God. God shares the suffering of sinful man in the man Jesus. And this Hebrews told us that he suffered in every way that we suffer. fact, he suffered all the way, laying down his life in the most cruel and painful possible way, I suppose, sharing in our suffering, the suffering that is the consequence of our breaking our fellowship with God that leads to death. That's why we die. And He shares in our suffering. That doesn't just mean he 
knew what it was like when he was a teenager that the other teenagers rejected him. It does mean that. It does mean that when he was doing the right thing, people were accusing him of doing the wrong thing. When he was full of the Spirit, they were saying he had a demon. That involves some suffering. Some of us might have suffered in a way like that. It does mean he endured just the ordinary pains of life. But more than that, more than that, he laid down his life. He suffered all that when we say he suffered in every way that we do, we mean he ultimately suffered death, which is really out of line. The eternal one should not suffer death, but he does. How does he do that? Only in his humanity. The eternal son of God can't die if he's not a man. In fact, in theology world, we would say the eternal son of God did not die because he cannot die. But he experienced death as one of us. In his humanity, he died. And again, we're in over our heads, but there you have it. He also fellowship, experienced fellowship between God and humanity in the, in the sanctification and the glorification of humanity, in human creatures sharing the enjoyment of the eternal fellowship of the Trinity, in drawing us into that fellowshipping reality. And he was, as we know, sanctified, set apart, and sent for this purpose. In the incarnation, we have this thing we call the hypostatic union. (laughs) The hypostatic union is the quick way of saying he's as man as man can be, he is fully human. There's nothing a human being is that he is not. And he's fully God. That is, there's nothing about being God that he does not possess. In the one person, we have fully God and fully man without any blending of those two natures. I don't know how, no, but that's the, that's what the scripture shows. That's what this text shows. The eternal one made flesh. Dwelling among us. His suffering brings God to us and us to God. God is made flesh. And we see his suffering. Paul says, I want to experience his suffering. A suffering like his, because the most precious thing in the mind of Paul was that he would somehow get inside the mind of Jesus. That he would know him. So if you have to suffer to know Jesus who suffered, then let's go. So this open fellowship between God and humanity is only possible because of Christmas. No baby, no life. 
Now, the third thing here is kind of another way of saying the same thing. We are saved only in the incarnation. If there's no child in the feed box, there's no atonement. Only a man can make himself purification of sins. Only a man can satisfy God's judgments for the sins of man. Only a man can lead many sons to glory, as we read in Hebrews, bringing us to stand in God's grace. If the Son of God is not the Son of Man, what sacrifice can he make? I just want you to think about that question for a second. If the Son of God is never the Son of Man, what sacrifice can he make? What atonement can he present? So we read in the book of Hebrews, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, made man, presents himself before God in the true temple of heaven with his sacrifice himself. And that is the thing that actually purifies for sin. All those sacrifices of the old system were just emblems and sort of temporary coverings. They didn't really deal with the issue. This one deals with the issue because in a human being you have, who had no sin of his own, you have the punishment of sin. And so his death atones for your sins. And if he's not one of us, that's not a sacrifice he can make. It's essential to the whole story that the eternal son becomes a man. So he leads many sons to glory. If he's not raised, if he doesn't ascend to the right hand, we remain lost. It's really that simple. If, if the person who is seated today at the right hand, ever living to make intercession for us, is not a human being, then his intercession is meaningless. And what we celebrate in Christmas is the eternal Son of God becoming one of us. What this holiday is about is the greatest speech of all time. God speaking to us in the life of his son, one of us. The greatest speech is a man. The greatest speech is an announcement, is an announcement of an accomplishment which he himself accomplished for you, for you, to 
repossess you into the fellowship of the living God so that we might become true bearers of his image so that we might extend the glory of God in this world. And so this eternal one becomes a baby, grows to a man, gives his life a sacrifice for sin that actually deals with the problem of sin and invites us to simply have it by saying yes, by agreeing to have it, by trusting ourselves to it. And so the greatest speech is the announcement of good news. The good news. That's what makes it greatest. Well, there's a lot of things. Who gave the speech? Who the speech was? What the speech accomplished? And how we get to have the blessings of it that are also not just you know, happy words, but the actual accomplishment of our redemption so that we are transformed, so that we become the bearers of the very image of God, the purpose for which we were made in the first place. Praise Him. I hope that your Christmas celebration will not just be a party, because it's a good time to have a party, but it will be a time of reflection on the outrageous blessing you have because that baby was born that day. And if he's not born, we got nothing. Because he's born, with him we inherit all things. (laughs) That's pretty good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing feat that you have done, this great speech, this announcement, this word of God. Lord, I thank you that it wasn't just words, but it was the word. So that we actually know you in him. We can come with, to you with anything at any time. Because he's standing there at your right hand, sitting there at your right hand, interceding for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.